Good morning. morning. It's really lovely to be here with y'all. So, I just want to say congratulations to the new members and congratulations to the rest of you because I'm not sure, because I haven't looked up the numbers, but I would guess that this now makes you, percentage-wise, one of the fastest-growing congregations in our association. (laughs) Because everyone is struggling, and actually, every time I've been here in the last several months, you have new, new people here, and this is really good. Keep doing it. It's great. And new people, we're so glad. They're so glad. I'm only here once in a while. but it makes me happy to see new members and new, new people. So um, I, every year, I, I like to participate in the General Assembly of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation, Association of Congregations, of which this congregation is a member. And people from your congregation also participate. You know, we have, each congregation is allotted delegates, and you get to go and vote on things. You get to sit in business meetings, which are business meetings, but they also do a lot of really interesting programming and reports, so you hear about what different parts of our association, different offices and that sort of thing are doing. Um, And before General Assembly starts, the ministers meet together too, which I'm mentioning just because I'm also going to quote from some of the people, some some of the things I'm going to tell you about I heard during ministry days. Um, But anyway, after I do that, Um, I like to come and talk to people about what happens at General Assembly because most UUs, especially UUs in the South, don't get to General Assembly. It tends to be held in places far away from us. So um, my title this morning is Finding the Magic at General Assembly. And um, I couldn't decide whether to start or end with this, so I'll tell you where the title came from. Leslie Takahashi, who is the outgo, no, she is the president of the UU Ministers Association. She said at some point during the week, we are in fact the bearers of magic, and that magic is connection. So that, and that's really what General Assembly always every year is about. It's about connection. It's about renewing the connections that we UUs have with each other from within, you know, congregation to congregation, all over, not just the country. There were, at this GA, 2,593 delegates. Now, there's lots of other people who participate as well, but those were the people who had delegate standing to vote on things in the assembly. And those delegates were both in person and online, and they represented 715 congregations, Um, from 50 states, the District of Columbia, Canada, Mexico, and the Philippines. So we are actually a worldwide movement, although mostly U.S., and a good chunk of Canada. Um, So General Assembly is about connection. And this year there was... um, I just have kind of an impressionistic kind of sense uh, that I'm going to just try to share with you sort of what my experience there was. I was online this year, um, so I was doing watching everything on Zoom, which is not my favorite way. You, you miss kind of the buzz, but that's the way it worked this year. Um, and the ministers had some extra time with both Susan Frederick Gray, who is 
the, the just last weekend outgone president of the UUA, and some time with Sophia Betancourt, who is the brand new president of the UUA. She was elected during this assembly by a 95.5% positive vote. So, um, one of the things I kept hearing a lot from both of these leaders, but also from just about everybody who said anything about anything, was that um, it, they didn't say we're in an unprecedented time. Actually, somebody said we almost can't. It was Susan Frederick Gray said, we can't use the word unprecedented anymore. <laughs> it's kind of become meaningless. It was just things are happening. Change is coming. We know this. We've been experiencing it. Um, Susan Frederick Gray, said, and by the way, that, that's the, the, the Reverend Dr. Susan Frederick Gray, who I may refer to as Susan from now on. Um, but Susan said, um, we're in a time of reimagining and rebuilding. And other people through the week um, repeated that theme. Uh, during general session, I don't, I don't know who said it, but I wrote it down in the margin of my notebook, change is coming, what do we need to imagine? There is this emphasis on, we, we, we don't know exactly what's happening, that not just within our movement, but within all, you know, all of our religious siblings in other denominations and either, even faith traditions. Um, there's great uncertainty about what's happening. Congregational life is different. The texture of life in general for families, for single people, for working people, for people working from home who do want to go back to the office or don't want to go back to the office or can't find jobs where they're living or whatever. Everything's different for everybody and this includes our congregational life as well. Um, Chris Bice, who's a, a minister in, um, uh, Oak, uh, no, he's in, Mem in Knoxville, Tennessee, and he's also a lifelong UU. Um, and a Tennessean, lifelong Tennessean. Um, he referred at some point in a sermon during one of the worship services that we're, uh, uh, we are in a, meta a metamorphosis into who knows what. <laughs> so there's this great sense of uncertainty about what's in front of us. But what I was hearing over and over again was an invitation to reimagine, to, to engage our imaginations, to think about how we could be of service to each other and the world around us. Um, it's, it's sort of, we are metamorphosing. There's, there is, by and large, I'm not hearing a lot of dread or worry. I'm just hearing, uh-huh, this is really different. And it looks like this is going to continue being different. So what do we need to imagine? What, what, who do we want to be and how do we want to be who we want to be? Um, on the, the theme of interconnection, I just want to, one of the things I wrote down in my notebook, Susan say, Susan was asked by an, another minister, um, what, um, what did we not do to help you that we could do for your, you know, for Sophia as she starts her term? And Susan almost got teary-eyed, I think. That's what it looked like to me over Zoom. And she said, y'all, the APF, that's the annual program fund. That's the UUA's name for, in effect, the dues. We don't call them dues, but the dues we pay to be a, as a, a congregation that's associated, every congregation. 
She said the APF really, really matters. And that, that just hit me because I am the minister in a, a small congregation who cannot afford to pay their annual program fund dues, the, the total assessment um, right now. And I really, really hate that because I know that's how the UUA pays the salaries for all the people who provide lots of services for us, who write curricula for us, who do all kinds of things. Um, so. I, I don't even know whether you all pay your annual program fund. I hope you do. You do. Yes, I see nods. That is fabulous, and I want you to know that Susan appreciates it, and Sophia will continue to. It's, it's, it's an important way that we are connected as Unitarian Universalists. And, and from what I have seen, the staff and the board of the UUA work really hard to make very good use of our money. I don't see them staying at expensive hotels. Usually at GA, the staff block of rooms is always at the least expensive official hotel. It's not, you know, they're they're not at Howard, you know, at, at, at a Holiday Inn, but they're, or unless it's one of those fancy Holiday Inns near a convention center. But um, they, they stay, you know, if there's two or three hotels that are the official ones and one of them is $10 less a room, that's where the staff block is. Always, always, very consistently. Um, so, yay for the UUA, because they're important for us to be able to be connected with Unitarian Universalists all over. And they, they resource congregations as best they can. I did hear some pleas for please be kind to your staff, <laughs> to our staff, because they, like, like those of us in congregations, have been hit really hard by the pandemic and are still struggling to catch up and to figure out what's needed now to imagine what's coming. Um, Susan's final word to, and this was in the general session, so the whole, you know, all the, all the delegates and all the people registered for GA um, would have, could have heard her. She said that our mission reminds us that our congregations are not here to serve our individual needs and preferences. So there, there is, Again, this is the sort of, um, it's, it's a nudge to imagine what we can be in the future and a nudge to imagine what we can be for those who are beyond our own walls as individual congregations, but also as the UUA. Um, and I, I know this congregation does that. I know you turn out for pride, which I guess didn't happen in Murfreesboro this year, right? There was no pride parade. Oh, it's upcoming. Yay. I didn't hear that news, yay, that's good. Um, yeah, but I know you, you go always, every year. And, and you show up for whoever, whichever, you know, I remember when the, uh, the mosque was being built, you showed up for our Muslim neighbors here. And, um, and you're out, you're visible in the, in, the con in the community here, and that's really good work, and thank you for doing that. Oh, Susan also, you know me, you know me. I'm all about connection. I, whoever picked the, um, the opening reading was, was probably Jill, she knows me too. Um, I'm all about connection. And Susan did say that our theology of interconnection is foundational to our work in the world. That, that sense of being interconnected is why we show up for our siblings in other faith traditions, for our siblings with, um, whatever. 
anyone we see who's being treated unjustly and needs company, we show up to be with them. Um, and that, that theme of both interconnection and also of theology and trying to be grounded in our theology showed up over and over again during General Assembly and ministry days. Um, Sophia Betancourt, um, Bet Betancourt, I'm still trying to say it the way she says it, which is really beautiful. Um, she um, was asked at some point um, to try to articulate her highest priorities in her presidency, and she was very clear immediately that numerical growth is not our highest um, priority. She echoed things I heard from other people, including Susan, that um, she would like to see us strive for greater theological depth. She would like for UUs to be empowered and resourced to talk about their values, and she especially wants us to talk about our values in public ways. And she wants us um, to have well-resourced families within our movement. And others also pointed out that out, that we, we need to think about how, if we want to be a growing movement that continues beyond our lifespans, you know, those of us in this room, and of course Lennox extends that quite a lot. <laughs> We hope <laughs> um, that um, we, we need to think about what serves families. And she said those three things, theological depth and talking about our values and making sure our families are healthy and well supported, those will support numerical growth. But that's not the reason we do them. We do them because these are the things that are in line with our values. Um, she said, and this, um, if she had a magic wand, we were talking about, we were imagining having magic wands during ministry days. And she said, if I had a magic wand, I would, and this is a direct quotation, I would dispatch the lie of individualism that is at the base of supremacy culture. And I was just, I wanted to stand up and cheer. Um, and I, I don't usually talk about individualism as a boogeyman. I, I prefer to just focus on connection and say that's, that's really who we are. And, but, but I do think that the sort of extreme American tendency toward individualism is just, it's a lie. It's, I mean, it's, it's not sustainable. It does, um, when people buy into it and proceed with life and their relationships with other people and with the earth, thinking about everything as being extremely individualistic and not connected, that we, it wrecks things, it, it spoils things, it does great harm, not just to human beings, but also to the world around us and to us. <laughs> um, so, um, but, but again, it's really basically, this is, we are all connected. Um, her greatest hope, and you'll, you'll hear echoes of her priorities in this. Her greatest hope, Sophia says, is, quote, that you use will get over shame and fear and be resilient and obnoxiously proud of our values in the public square, that we will show up, make noise, protest people, and protect our young people. Protect people, not protest people. It's like, wait a minute, that didn't make sense. <laughs> um, so, but that sort of became a running theme through the week, is um, it, I, trying to imagine you use showing up obnoxiously 
for our values. You know, we, we, um, we're not too far away on some days from Presbyterians. I went to a Presbyterian college, so I understand. Presbyterians like to do things decently and in good order. It's very, very important. Yes, Karen knows what I speak of. Um, and, and to be encouraged to show up and be obnoxious, not obnoxious for the sake of being obnoxious, but ob obnoxious for our values obnoxiously proud of our values, to show up and say, we have a good thing here. Can we, you know, this is, this is what's important, the, the people, and how do we resource the people? I had an experience just last week that was kind of like this. I was at a clergy meeting of mostly liberal-leaning clergy in Nashville, liberal and progressive-leaning clergy in Nashville, and a United Methodist pastor um, was sharing about some, a little bit of, low-level upset in her congregation about um, it was something she had said in relationship to some of the legislation about um, trans people in Tennessee. But some, something she said in relationship to that upset some parents of very young children who were present when she said it. And I don't remember where our conversation went, but at one point I said, one thing, the UUs get one thing really, really right, and that's our sexuality curriculum, which if you don't know is called Our Whole Lives, or it's often just called OWL for short. And um, congregations regularly train, you know, send people off to, you have to get a good amount of training to be able to teach OWL, to facilitate OWL, um, but they send people off to come back and then teach human sexuality to kindergartners and first graders or late elementary students and there's a another these are separate curricula another curriculum for junior high students and another one for senior high students and now there's like two or three curricula for adults of different ages um, so it, it's an amazing, amazing curriculum, and, and she was actually interested, and I got, you know, I just sent her, here's the links, <laughs> good luck, <laughs> that's about all I can do. Well, I also, yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. But it was this moment I realized that I was like, oh, that, I, I was obnoxiously sort of, it wasn't a public, this was not the public square. This was a closed meeting of, of clergy. It was a support group for clergy. But still, to just say, oh, oh, this is a thing we have, that we do well, that we can share. Um, and many of our congregations do, which is not to suggest that this congregation is called to do that work, because it, it, it takes a certain amount of resources. But there are other things you do and do well, and, that you, and, and things we value, things we know in our core, because this is our theological space. This is where we live. These are our values that if you could show up, and Sophia will be proud of you if you are obnoxiously proud of our movement in public. <sighs> Sophia actually also said, let's, let's try doing less together. There was this interesting theme running through the week that um, we're all exhausted because we've been holding a lot together for a lot of years now. And we are a small movement, even before the pandemic. We're a small movement with limited resources and trying to make those stretch. And, um, you know, we've been thriving. And the pandemic was a blow in a lot of ways. And we come from that 
many of us come from, that sort of New England intellectual tradition, but it also, it's, it's that American individualism, work hard, kind of, you know, you get, you get rewarded for, for working really, really hard. And so we tend to overwork. And um, I heard a speaker even suggest that we maybe are overproducing. And especially now that I think church life and public life, communal life, volunteer, volunteer life, social life has changed so much because of the pandemic, I think we're sometimes we're tempted to work really hard to get things back to normal, to, to work to do the things that were working for us five years ago that are probably, maybe, not going to work now. And maybe, is what I'm, what I'm collecting from all of this, is that our imaginations, which we need to engage in order to come up with a what to do next kind of plan, may work better if we rest more, if we do less, which is really hard, because we feel like, oh, something, we need to change, and I don't know, the way I was raised, you need to change Well, you come up with a plan and you map it all out and you make lots of lists and you get, you roll up your sleeves and you get busy, you do it, you do, you know, you do more. And if it's a big change that's needed, you do even more. And what's being suggested is that it may be time to center down on who we are, to understand our values, to learn how to think about our values, and to practice doing less together. And Sophia, as she was saying this, also said, I'm really bad at doing less. <laughs> I mean, here she is. She just said, yes, she'll be the president of the UUA for not, not two years, six. That's, it's a six-year term. And I knew Susan before she took this job. She's a lot more than six years older <laughs> than she was when she started. Um, and she's still, she's still a vibrant young woman. But um, man, it's, it's a hard, hard job. So maybe we could try doing less together. That was an interesting invitation from our new president. The other thing I really wanted to make sure I mentioned to you was um, the Berry Street Lecture, which is a lecture series that I think, it's got some historical something of, of note. Like it may be the longest running public lecture in the, in the United States. It's been going since sometime in the late 19th century, I think. I don't know, it's a something. It's a, it, there's something. It's, it's a cool thing that gets done every year. I think it's, its home is in the UU Ministers Association. It was originally something the Unitarian ministers did annually. And then it became a project of the UU ministers. Um, but this year, anyway, the lecture, was um, Cecilia Kingman, who is a UU minister. It's always, it's always a UU minister who presents these lectures. And the title, it's one of the joyful things about GA, my experience this year was, My Little Pony Was Right, Fascisms Within and Without. And it was really good. Have you seen it, Jill? You're nodding, okay. It was really good, it is available. You can watch it online or uh, it's on, I think, YouTube. Um, or you can read, the, the text is posted somewhere. Um, but she, she just talked about what's going on right now in our country 
as the rise of fascism. And she based her, her study on, on someone else's work, and there's a YouTube video she quotes that's like, you know, 10 characteristics of fascism. And she took us through all of those. And it was really interesting. Um, and I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna take you through that, don't worry. <laughs> but it was very convincing. It was very scary, scary frighteningly convincing. At the end, she comes to you know, the interesting point that fascists use, okay, personal point of delight here. She used the word stochastic, which is a word I just learned this year. I'd never heard of it before. And it means stochastic. Um, does anybody here know what stochastic means? Okay, stochastic means something like, I had to go look it up and I'm still struggling with it. It's unpredictable, but does submit to statistical analysis after the fact. So it's, and if you think about it, that is how fascists work. Stochastic terror, you got it? You understand? I got it? Okay, oh, good, you, knew, you did know what it was. <laughs> um, so um, fascists use stochastic terrorism to terrify the population. It's just true, you sort of, you never know when it's going to happen. Afterwards, you can say, oh, here are these patterns, this is what they do, but you don't know when it's coming. And, and this is not a new thing in the world at large. It's fairly new as something that feels like a threat to the general United States population. Um, and the other thing she said, and this, I think, comes back to the magic of who we are as Unitarian Universalists and our values in the world. She said, our immediate task is to help people out of the direct path of harm. And that is something we do try to do. We put our bodies on the streets and go on marches and stand beside people and accompany people and um, we do these things. Um, one of the respondents to this lecture also said something which I think is a nice balance. She said, the sweetness of our lives. And she was saying this because she's, she's a mother of uh, young children or youngish children. And she, she feels this um, pull, she says, between showing up and being on the streets and standing up and protesting and organizing and all this and just enjoying life at home, just enjoying friendships, enjoying what there is to enjoy in life. And she said where she's landed is that the sweetness of our lives grounds us and resources us for acts of courage when they are required. So you kind of come back to Sophia's suggestion that sometimes we need to do less. We need to do less so that we can be with our people who ground us, so we can enjoy what there is to enjoy, what is sweet in life, so that we can show up. And I, I think that is true. I think if, if all you ever do is show up, you're never going to run out of things that need people to show up for. Never, ever. Um, but if that's all you do, you're going to run yourself into the ground. You're going to not be, you, you may endanger your health. You may not show up as a very helpful person at the, you know, by the time you run yourself ragged. So um, Rebecca Parker who is also a UU minister and an academic, a, a theologian and ethicist, she had a um, prominent spot at the closing general session. And one of the things she said that I really like is conflict 
and struggle persist, but love abides. I really liked that. I'm gonna, I'll come back to it. I also want to tell you one more thing about what something that happened. This was sort of fairly large drama at GA. There was a business resolution proposed by a caucus of young adults, UU young adults, and it was about um, divestment of our endowment funds. The UUA has, um, they have money, because they have to, because they run a big organization with lots of employees and a few buildings and such. Um, and they also hold money in common that congregations, so con congregations invest their money in this common endowment. And some of that money is invested in companies that use um, fossil fuels. And there was a resolution, a business resolution, six years ago, I believe, um, that required divestment from a set number of those companies. And I'm not sure yet, I'm not clear whether that happened or not. People have been working on it. I don't know that it happened. It's, yes, it's, it's a good idea, and everybody likes it, and everybody's on board with it. The young adults are unhappy with the incompleteness of this action. They want us to be completely divested from all, um, in, you know, anything related to fossil fuels. And they want it to happen faster. And they want the money that's freed up by that. I don't, I don't quite understand how it gets freed up, but anyway, we'll lay that on the table. Sell the stock. Sell the, right. Um, but, but still, other people have invested that. Yeah, anyway, it's, it's, it's complicated, is what I heard a lot of people say. Yeah, it's, it's about how things are bundled and stuff. But, um, and it's, but anyway, that they, they wanted to t the freeing up of that money to be that money to be allocated to reparations, especially to people who, and I, actually it may have been only, to people who have been harmed by fossil fuel industries. So, and that would be, um, that in large part, that would be people um, who are black, indigenous, and people of color, but not, not exclusively. So, anyway, there was this business resolution. It was on the agenda, we all had to vote on it. And there was, there was ultimately disappointment because it did not pass. Um, and there was a good bit of conflict. There was um, a little bit of contentious discussion among the delegates. Uh, and there was, a, I, I witnessed some kind of rude behavior all around, on, on all sides. Um, so there, there was conflict. There, were, there, was some, there was some petty rudeness going on at moments in various chat platforms and discussion platforms. And the clear message from the board of the UUA and the staff of the UUA and both the outgoing and the incoming president was that passing this resolution and telling the UUA staff they had to do this, this way, on this timetable, would cripple the UUA. That it, that it would not ultimately serve our values best. And that was the considered judgment of people who are deeply embedded in the UUA, who I generally trust. And I know, I get it, they're deeply embedded in the UUA, and they didn't divest fast enough after the last resolution on this subject, and everybody knows that. Um, so there, there, there was disappointment. There was some conflict. 
it was overwhelmingly approved. It wasn't a 95.5%, like, like the, the affirmation of Sophia was. Um, but I was really pleased, in, just very recently, just over the weekend, got emails that, that um, were documented some of the ways the UUA has responded to that conversation at GA. There was a joint letter from um, Susan and Sophia. There was a letter from the board of the UUA. So they clearly, they got done with GA and the rest of us all exhausted went on with the rest of our lives. But they spent, they, and the staff always does, after the week after GA, they work hard processing what happened and how it can be better next time and what came up and how we need to deal with it. But they very publicly, because they emailed it, to all the people, I think, who participated in GA. Um, and I'm sure there were private conversations going on at the same time. But said, this is, we want to affirm our young adults. These are young adults who brought this resolution. And they, they, present, and they also presented it really well. They did. They had strong arguments. They, at one, I was going back and forth. Which way do I vote? Because <laughs> you know, they, they had me convinced um, at a couple of points. Um, but the, the presidents are saying, yes, we understand, and this is something we want to, and we're very sorry. I, I forget, there was, an, there was a sincere apology about something that happened during GA. I don't think it was really clear to me in the letter what they were talking about. A lot of times there's, there's stuff that happens in rooms that you're not in, and so you don't know for sure <laughs> what it is. Um, and they're committed to the same. They, it was it was a community rebuilding. Kind of, they they are very much not wanting the young adults to sit down and shut up. They are saying we value your voices. We want to work on these concerns. We're sorry we couldn't do it this way right now. Um, it's, it's reaching out and um, rebuilding connections that may have been strained during General Assembly. And I find that encouraging. And it takes me back to Rebecca Parker saying, conflict and struggle persist, but love abides. And so for me, what I left General Assembly with was this. We are connected. We are connected. That is, that is how we are. We are not without being connected. And as long as that is true, and it always is, we can't avoid struggle. It persists just as, or more likely precisely because, we ourselves persist. But in all our strivings, our wonderings and imaginings and protests and plans and adjustments to change, we are held in a love that abides in and through and around us. It is so. May we remember that. Thank you.